They let me pick. Did I ever tell you that? Choose whichever Spartan I wanted. You know me. I did my research, watched as you became the soldier we needed you to be. Like the others, you were strong and swift and brave. A natural leader. But you had something they didn't. Something no one saw but me. Can you guess? Welcome back to Furudashi Pod. I'm your host, Lauren Ash, here with the lovely Nicholas. Yeah, we're going <laughs> That is you. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess something that's been really exciting to finally start talking about here for those of you who have uh, kept up with the podcast over the years is that I obviously am a narrative designer, but I have dabbled in systems, I've dabbled in level, and also I'm a games writer. And I think what's really great is that we're finally kind of getting into more about the narrative uh, video games. And so something that's been really important to me that we've also, like I say we have also complained about, right, is the way narrative is delivered. And quite yep. honestly, this is just called narrative delivery. Ooh, such a Wow, wow. That's a, I can't believe you called it that. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe. Who would have thought, right? And I think narrative delivery is such a central and integral point of games. So in this podcast episode, I wanted to go, I wanted to take a step back from the kind of this narrative systems talk or like the mechanics and the core yeah. kind of features of a game and talk less holistically about what are mechanics and what are what a story, what is narrative, and really kind of dig into not just narrative in the game, but also why what you hear and see, right, and sometimes feel in a game yeah. can be a consequence or a, a reaction to the way it is told to you and narrative yeah. delivery is how the story is told or how the story is shown to you in a game. And narrative is the way in which you experience that. So yeah. in that, with that little like intro into this game, um, into this game, into this episode, <laughs> um, something that I wanted to kind of like really like appreciate with you guys is that we kind of sometimes talk about these high level concepts like you know, mechanics as inputs, right, and actions that the player takes. Yeah, we tend to talk like robots sometimes. Yeah. It is a problem. And when you get into now narrative and you get into like the feelings or the inspirational, it can kind of now sometimes seem to think that we swing in the opposite direction, right? We're now we're going to talk about feelings and emotions <laughs> and how things like <laughs> feel when you play on the sticks and like, God, why Aww. is this cutscene so long, Aww. right? So I just want us to come to the middle and realize that you kind of need both the robot, okay, and you need yeah. like the crying, sobbing person on the couch. Being, like, <laughs> we are we are a crying robot. That that we is a, a really robot. great <laughs> description okay. of this. <laughs> this will be the craziest. This will be the description of this. Okay. So 
before I kind of dig into all of this, I wanted to kind of pose a question to you guys to think about. And also, I'm going to pose this to Nicholas. Oh, geez. And so the biggest thing, right, for me, whenever you think about narrative or whenever I got into writing, this is what was asking uh, was asked of me, or specifically in games, right? Yeah. Is how do you want the player to feel when they're playing yeah. your game? Yeah. And it was really interesting because it's something that in user experience design we hear all the time. But so, Nicholas, what was the last game you played that made you feel a very strong emotion? And it doesn't have to be related oh, to okay. the story. It doesn't have to be related to anything, right? It's just you felt an emotion. I actually am going to have to think about this a little bit because preface, I I do play a lot of games, but I oftentimes play a lot of games that I don't particularly enjoy, and I'm do because I'm doing it for like analytical purposes. So. Yeah. Even if no, you're game... a game designer now, so I totally get it. So like so like even if the game is in, is designed in such a way that it's a, it's trying to evoke an emotional reaction, my response is often like, "Oh, I see how this game is trying to evoke an emotional response in me." And I can see how I'm supposed to feel x y and z because I'm apparently the robot in this instance. But I guess the, the example that immediately comes to mind is a game that I love that you should all play. You should go to the Apple Store right now and get it. It's also available on Switch. Um, is Takeshi and Hiroshi. Uh, and the reason why this game has a kind of such a strong emotional resonance for me is for a couple of reasons. One, I played it with my daughter. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we did this goofy thing as we were playing where like, I did, it was like we would voice, because there is no voice acting in the game. It's all just text. So like I, as we were playing, would voice act the lines for the, the older brother. And my daughter would voice act the lines for the younger brother. And she did it in this very cutesy little like toddler voice the entire time. It was very funny. Um, but it's also an extremely emotional game because for those of you who haven't played it, the context of it is that the, the older brother is designing a game, but specifically designing a game for his younger brother who is sick and in the hospital. And so like the game is designed to be sort of like a distraction from all of the like daily difficulties that his brother is having under treatment. And uh, I don't know, like both the way in which, and also what's interesting about the game is that it takes a very like, you are in many ways take on the role of the game designer. Like in terms of its mechanics, the thing that you do is you create these levels for your little brother. And in the process of creating the levels, like he gives you player feedback. And then in response to the player feedback, you need to change what kinds of monsters and what kind, like how you do the level design in order to like work better for him in whatever state of mind that he happens to be in. It's an absolutely brilliant game from a company that actually typically makes uh, tabletop games, strangely enough. This is one of the few like video games that they have made. And maybe it's because I'm a sap, especially when it comes to my kid. Um, but sort of all the ways in which that, like all the pieces came together, like the the game design aspect, the sort of relating to my daughter aspect, and just the the sort of the emotional context of the game and the way in which like this kid who is very much begins the game as sort of your, like your standard like shonen young boy like hot chat like I know what I'm doing, come on guys! But then over the course of the game, actually has to learn to be a little bit more humble and to be a little less less of a jerk. Actually, that really hit me. That that hit me in a spot that games typically don't. Even games that are like sort of intended to be emotional. 
I always love when you talk about that game because it is so meta. It is like you're creating a game experience while experiencing the game experience. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, like when you hear Nicholas is talking about this reaction and he's saying, well, maybe it's because I'm a sap for a kid or maybe it's because like, you know, like we were voicing the characters. But I want all you to know that all of what he was doing right there is part of the narrative delivery. Now, that doesn't mean that the developers intended right for their users to voice the characters. But in the same way that a writer reading writing a book knows that you're going to say those voices in your head. Right. We yeah. can't control how you say them but we can't control how we write them. The game developers yeah. tr controlled how they wrote those words, yeah. right? Which is what the player saw on the screen, yeah. right? And Nicholas read them out loud and they controlled maybe how they were delivered. But the mechanics, right? What he had to do to change the level, right? With his daughter to make, right? The younger brother actually approve of it. That yeah. is a type of narrative delivery because depending on how many times you have to change it, right? Even if the line gets repetitive, right? Maybe if you keep changing it too much and you keep messing up, you start getting frustrated because you're like, yeah. why are you not just giving me my reward of a new dialogue line? All yeah. I want is a new dialogue line. That's all I know. And then I will progress. <laughs> just inject it into my veins. Give me the dialogue. Inject it. Give me the dialogue line, right? <laughs> but I will progress in the story. I will progress yeah. in the game, right? And so when we yeah. talked about progression and narrative and how those systems were really um, linked together, I realized that I never actually like went in and talked about, okay, but it's because of the narrative delivery, yes. right? And so he was able to feel those emotions though, because the game systems and the game's mechanics set it up in a way that the gameplay was tied to the narrative delivery of his experience, which was actually very unique to only him and his daughter, which makes it now this weird single-player game creating a multiplayer experience. Yeah. And I really want to hone in on those two things because we talk about narrative in the game industry so subjectively where we think that a good story can only be told in a linear format or like a book or like a yeah. movie, right? Yeah. And we're like, you can only get emotional storytelling if you are telling the story. Yeah, but, the idea is that like you you are expected to take the player on a specific journey, and it's almost this kind of like megalomaniacal approach to things. It's the, it's the auteur. It's the person's like yep. you will share my vision, and if you don't, then you suck. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It has now been zero days since the hero's journey was <laughs> shown on this podcast. But no, it's true. And what's really interesting and funny to me is that the hero's journey wasn't even meant to necessarily be a storytelling device for real narrative. I don't want to be like real yeah. narrative. It was, yeah, real narrative. <laughs> it was meant to be a psychological evaluation of how people can overcome their own story as yeah, a yeah, personal yeah, yeah. journey. Yeah. <laughs> Not now let's plop this onto a movie script and ship it. Um, but I think that's <laughs> let's, and I actually really want to go really visceral with that narrative. Yeah, let's yeah. plop this onto a movie script and ship it. No, yeah, let's go yeah. Call of Duty here. Like, yeah. let's get a gun, right? And let's shoot you with story. And okay. like, mm, I think that's really, mm, no, 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 no. Mm, hold on, hold on. Mm, this is important okay, because it's yeah. pacing, right? Yeah. If you use an AK-47, the pacing of your narrative is going to be like, pop, 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 right? It's going to be like really short, really fast with these breaks. But if yeah. it's a shotgun, you're just flowing, you're just right? It's just going to pump you in the face with narrative and you're overwhelmed. You're frustrated. You're upset. You're like, what do I need with all the story? I have 20 pips on my menus and I don't yeah. care about it. 
right? And I'm not saying a burst rifle is the best method for storytelling. But like <laughs> what I'm trying to say here is that if story pacing were weapons, okay, in okay. a traditional shooter, yeah. that is actually a really excellent metaphor for why sometimes the pacing of the narrative in a game, right, or the pacing of the story in the game sometimes comes across really poorly. Yeah, okay, I see that. Right. Well, because shooting you with yeah. these story nuggets is like the metaphor that got stuck in my brain, and I was like, "Yes, we're just gonna <laughs> throw the rocks of story." Because well, the thing is, like in sh- in shooters, especially first person shooters, like a typical like delivery method for narrative is li- like the voiceover dialogue. Because usually you have some, and it's usually a guy. Although in Halo, it's it's a girl. It's Cortana, and Cortana is there, and she's guiding you as you go along, and you're having witty banter with her as you're blowing up little Jawa guys. And their larger counterparts. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, that, I don't know what the guys in the Covenant are called. They just always sound like Jawas to me, so I refer to them as the Jawa guys. Um, and so the thing is, like that. So like the the dialogue stream that is sort of overlaid on top of like the the actual the shoot 'em up aspects of first person shooters. Like that is a narrative delivery system. That is, that is a way in which like it's because the thing is like first person shooter games can often feel like a railroad experience. So you feel like you're moving through a tunnel. And there are a bunch of guys in the tunnel. You have to kill the guys so that you can move further in the tunnel. And that can, I don't know. I don't necessarily think of that as a pleasurable experience, but it can be made more interesting through this overlay of dialogue on top of it, because then it's giving like justification to your actions. Like you understand why you're going to this place. Like when Cortana puts the little like navigation blip on your screen, you know why you're going to this particular part of the tunnel because you have to blow up some reactor or whatever. And that's given justification through the narrative dialogue. And that is, you know, that's a system. Yay, systems. Yeah. So actually that leads us into like the next kind of topic of this, where it is not just like, hey, this is an example of narrative delivery. Thank you, Nicholas, for that. But also like what are narrative delivery systems or what are methods of narrative delivery? Right. And I think the biggest one that we do hear about all the time, haha, I didn't mean to make that (laughs) one, is dialogue, right? Yeah. But it's Narrative delivery through dialogue can be done in different ways. Yep. An opt-out method or basically a method that you don't have to opt into or it's passive is the you're playing any first-person shooter where it's half – I guess Half-Life doesn't actually have a lot of dialogue. Not I mean, really, no. Actually. No. no, that's a different example. Um, sorry, dial- it's the Cortana, right? Like you're in a yeah. first-person shooter or Dead Space yeah. or honestly even Stanley Parable. Not a first person. Oh yeah, shooter. Stanley Parable is definitely like Stanley Parable. That's that. yeah, yeah. that's all of the system, right? Yeah. It's basically that's where you're getting a bunch of the narrative from. But right, conversely, is then you also have to think about well, then what are opt in methods of dialogue? Is the audio log, right? Yeah. You walk around and you see audio <laughs> logs, and you're like, yeah. I'm going to click on this and get some story. Now that also is a narrative delivery. I'll say even if it's just text. In Guardians of the Galaxy, you right go around and you find these like yeah. mopads, and then you open yeah. them up. Yeah, and and every game kind of has it. And this is different, yeah. right, than a second narrative delivery system, which a lot of people, honestly, I think, think of more as art or level design, and that's environmental storytelling. Now, okay. when you are environmentally storytelling, you're telling a story <laughs> with the environment. Crazy, crazy crazy (laughs) storytelling is narrative. I say that because (laughs) there are just lots of uh, definitions are important in the industry. And I say that because (laughs) let's just look at the word. And I want to say that even if environmental storytelling may come as a function of level design, you cannot tell the story if you don't want to know what narrative you are trying to deliver. 
Yeah. Bioshock, right, is a great example of environmental storytelling. That yeah. is actually narrative delivery. You are understanding the context, the history, what happened, right, in yeah. Bioshock. And you also get that in the Crisis series, so Crisis 2, Crisis 3. Yeah. Um, I bring up those two examples because they're very different narratives, but both of them use incredible environmental storytelling, as, mo- as well as other games. Well, I mean, I mean, in many ways, that's sort of like how the Tomb Raider games always functioned, especially like in the older Tomb Raider games where there basically was no little or no voiceover. And really, all you're doing is sort of like moving through these various environments. And so like the environment really sort of has to explain to you why it is that you're you're doing something. And often that's that takes the form of a puzzle. In other words, the justification for what you're doing is like, oh, I have to go over here to do this because I have to move like this brick and so that this door opens, et cetera, et cetera. And then the encounters that you have as a result, like with a T-Rex and so forth and so forth. But then you also see this in the later, you know, the, the more recent like reboot uh, Laura Croft games where it definitely like I remember um, the first reboot one, which I think was it just called Tomb Raider, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the first reboot was just yeah. Tomb Raider 2013. And sort of like the, the tutorial bit of the game is very much framed as an escape. And in fact, the escape is a narrative, like the the idea that you start in a condition that you have to move out from. But that's done in an environmental way because the escape is fundamentally about navigating through the environment. And that sort of like then gives you sort of like the feeling of tension or like, you know, you encounter enemies in particular places that you have to avoid. Or maybe you have to climb a cliff. Or if I remember correctly, at one point you have to do this weird like water slide thing if ah, i'm remembering yes. this correctly the croft, slide, <laughs> croft crawl the croft slide the croft hide and duck the croft yeah. cover everything is great um that yeah that is a form of environmental storytelling it is, it's environmental storytelling and it's not just about that tomb raider is actually a great example because they do this incredibly well is that they use the objective that you have to do paired with the level and the character's movement and traversal through that space to tell that interesting narrative that feels visceral on the sticks on yeah, the yeah. controls, right? Yeah. So the character, the controls, everything's driving. And that's our third narrative system that a lot of people don't realize can be used to deliver narrative because we're not used to it, but it actually is. And that's the objective system. What are yeah. you actually supposed to do? Now, I could have said quests because quests are more in line with what people have thought of as narrative, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm taking on this side quest. It's a story and a quest, right? It's part of my hero's journey, <laughs> right? And I get oh. my sword and I go out and I get yeah. five wolf pelts and then I bring the wolf pelts back and then everybody's war. I believe we refer to them as bear butts. I believe bear oh, butts is bear butts. I apologize. On the, on the I podcast. was too realistic. <laughs> um, but the objective, right? The objective indicators are actually a huge, where it's an indicator or text on screen yeah. or it's passive. Half-Life 2 is also a great example of a passive objective of escape. Right. Yeah. Where basically the whole game is tied to escape. That's it. Now you have some other things about how you're going to get there further. And then it becomes actually less about escape and then more about different. But it's never shown on your screen. Right. And I think a lot of people give Half-Life 2 a lot of credit for that because it's all passive and it's all within the environment. Right. Yeah. Um, Oh, I was going to say, I think that maybe our fourth actual narrative system. I think it was dialogue lines like ambient. Audio yeah. logs you have to pick up, environmental storytelling. Yeah. So fourth, excuse me, listeners, fourth is yeah. right, objectives. Yeah. And the objective, right, of what you have to do can be as simple as Fortnite's Battle Royale <laughs> win, right? Yeah. Because Go that's your thing, narrative. Yeah. Go do yeah. a thing, right? Yeah. Win. Now you can get sub-objectives, which are side quests, but yeah. the objective, the goal, the mission, the motivation, 
right? That is a narrative that pulls the player along. And you can sometimes see in games where the delivery, all right, of the narrative doesn't match the objective. Press F to pay respects. Like, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) Immediately, you're going. F's in the chat for Warren. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately, you're like, wait a second now. This is a really somber moment. I'm just gonna vault press over F. the tombstone, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. just vault over this. Um, like it, it's true, and I think that that's where right people have started to forget that the context and the motivation for the player's journey. Ah, sorry, mm. I that. sorry okay. for the player experience in the game is tied to the the actual narrative and the forward motion through that space whether it is a single player or a multiplayer title. And so the objective I absolutely love because when you do start the, well, when you play the older Lara Croft games, right? I think that that is a lot about passive objective. Like you know what you need to do because you're a tomb raider, right? So you know you're raiding the tomb. It's in the name. But then the other objectives to how you're going to do it make you feel accomplished because now you're controlling how it happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, it's a little different because in many ways, like part of the gameplay is you're supposed to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. And that was pretty common for games in the 90s, like especially if you think about uh, some of like the first person like mystery puzzle games like Myst or 11th Hour or uh, Seventh Guest. Seventh Guest was one of my favorite um, games. In those games, like you're essentially handed a world, a game world. And it doesn't explain to you how it works. <laughs> it doesn't explain to you how it does. So like you actually like figuring out what the objectives are is in many ways the first objective. Straight yeah. Straight okay. Yeah. This is actually great because one of the biggest ways that you do that is actually our fifth st- storytelling environment. And that's going to be interacts. Yeah. Just interacts in general. But yeah. specifically, we'll call them narrative interacts. And this is different than audio logs or when you interact with narrative and you just get some text on the screen because that's a very visual way. This is about you interact with a person or you interact with an NPC or you interact with something that you're trying to figure out. Are you going to give me story? Are you going to give me context? Are you going to give me my goal, that objective? Are you going to give me an objective to complete? It can be. It can be. It was worth knowing. It can be an object as well. And you see this. It can be an object as well. Are you mystery focused? Yeah. 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 Point and click adventures like mist. Are you a thing that I can actually click on at all? Can yeah. I click on you? Yes. Exactly. Did I do something? <laughs> Sorry. Mist was such an experience for me to play because I just didn't really get or understand the objectives and the story. That's and fine. This is, yeah. And that's fine, right? The yeah. really important bit of this is what Nicholas is saying in the game of like, especially in the 90s, was that people didn't tell you what you needed to do. You had to figure it out. Now, yeah. what's interesting, though, is that somewhere along the lines, I feel we got a little lost. And I say this because... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase it like this because this is how I feel and this is not like actually a marker on the industry, but it's that in the opinions of, of someone who has been a games writer and who's played these games, yeah. just like there's lots of like, I guess, disclaimer here. <laughs> I feel caveats. like we got a little lost in narrative delivery from separating these narrative delivery systems I've just mentioned, right? Overhead dialogue, like radio dialogue, right? Like yeah. someone talking to you, telling you what to do. To picking up dialogue or picking up textual story, to seeing the environmental storytelling around you, to, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot what we, what I talked about. Um, (laughs) Damn it. Before the interacting points. (laughs) Anyway, interacting with something to get it. 
um, the objectives, like what objective do I need to do, that we somehow divorce that from the actual narrative or the story we wanted to tell and put it into this bucket of systems that anybody could do, yeah. right? Because we ended up wanting to tell an emotional story. And what we had as reference was a movie. We wanted people to have a long arc, very complex themes, deep emotional dialogue scenes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right? And the way to do that is from the Tomb Raiders of old where we didn't get that, right? And we were Lara to this is our Lara. It's a new version. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. But when I – so I getting lost is maybe a bit of a hyperbole. But I say is that we started to focus less on how the systems created the story, right? And yeah. we as an industry now went into, no, I want to tell a story with Lara as the main character. I want to tell a story. I want to show the story. Hmm. And the way you show an emotional scene between two characters crying or like now you have really high-res animations, right? Fidelity of graphics is increasing is – the biggest narrative delivery system that we haven't talked about because I'm obviously more systemically focused <laughs> is the cutscene. Yeah. Now, cutscenes yeah. are you cut the scene in, and it's into a scene. Yeah, yeah. It's cut again, into a scene. Again, Once in games, again. The, the, the word usually describes what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, because we're very literal people, honestly, in games. You know, if you tell, if, if I tell you that the world is grounded and then I suddenly put an something in the sky you're gonna go wait a minute now that's a cloud clouds are not on the ground um and i'm like i can't argue with that uh so i think that cutscenes are where i really wanted to then focus and end this on because narrative delivery isn't just about the systems we have it's yeah. about the pacing and why we want to tell that story and how we want to tell it but the majority of narrative delivery when people see it is something that's like a cutscene or a mini scene of dialogue and they think what? that emotion is only hold on oh okay, yeah, okay. you are because I, I, I actually want to ask a question with regards to that yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask because a question. I can see that. do you think that's an issue of like that's what people t tend to perceive as narrative because it's so conspicuous or do you think that is genuinely like the most common way i i think there's a distinction to be made there i think that's a, that's a good call because i I was definitely going into into a high level topic, so thank you for bringing me back down. <laughs> I think it's I think it's both perception, okay, and and generally why we as an industry have done that. So yeah. Okay. So first off is perception. When you think yeah. of having an amazing story, like you go to the movies, right? Or when yeah. you think of like a very bite sized narrative that you can like get in two hours, right? Yeah. We used to go to a play. Like someone tell me a story. Someone's talking to you, right? And now yeah. movies are someone telling you a story around a campfire, but it's way a lot, a lot more high budget. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because all storytelling used to, literally used to just be someone, you know, sitting around a campfire telling you a story. Way telling back a in story, England. as it turns yeah, out. Yeah. Just as it turns out. Wow. Look at all these really <laughs> impressive English words. Oof. Oof. Uh, English or functional language. Um, but the reason why is that. I, so when I say it's a perception and also kind of the, is it the easiest way? Yeah. Nowadays, I would say that it's becoming one of the easiest ways because it's the easiest to get everybody on board with because they all know what it is. And that's why you have okay. audio I logs, see. right? Yeah. In-game yeah, dialogue, yeah. text, radio UI, someone telling you because it's the easiest, like that's what we as humans know. Hey, yeah. go get me some eggs from the fridge. Okay. And then you as Nathan Drake go to get fridge and then you pull out the eggs right like you know immediately what to do yeah and 
hey, maybe you see a note and the note is environmental, right? And the note says, hey, we need eggs, right? Or something. Oh, this now I need a, to know. This I is need... a really boring Uncharted that you're coming is, I, I don't know. Is that, the, is that the beginning of Uncharted 4? It's like, you're at home being a husband. I've actually never only played Uncharted 2. So, um, and it was a really great game, by the way. Everybody go play it. Yeah. Um, and I want to bring up the cutscenes because, and I, well, I want to bring that up, right? Is that it's the easiest thing to tell a story or to tell an objective is to just do it. And yeah. I think cutscenes for me are actually one of the easiest ways that I have seen or that I've also experienced, right, to pace a game. Because narrative or uh, direct narrative, active narrative, narrative where you need to pay attention to it yeah. is a cutscene. It's very different, right, than narrative you don't have to pay attention to, that you might miss. So that post-it note, right, lying on the table, that audio log. Maybe someone played Bioshock through environmental storytelling and totally missed all of Andrea. <laughs> I have no like, idea you know, what's going on. <laughs> and I have no idea what's going on. It's totally yeah. opt right because it's optional. Yeah, it's yeah. opt in narrative, right? Versus like opt out narrative, which is a cutscene. You have to choose to skip it, otherwise it will play. And sometimes there are cutscenes you can't skip, right? And then a lot of people yeah. get frustrated. Yeah. Because they're like, hey, what is all this narrative or right story that you're forcing yeah. down my throats? Yeah. And it's different than what I would call a cutscene is now a huge umbrella, right? Of it could be an in-game cinematic, right? It, which is an IGC. Yeah. It could be a um, an optional conversation, right? Where you opt into something that's like in-gamey or there's, you know, conversations that have the text, right? Yeah. And like RPGs. Cutscenes aren't quests, right, or objectives because you go and accept a quest and maybe you have a bunch of dialogue to read. But also it's different than conversations like in Skyrim or Dragon Age where you go out and then the dialogue choices appear, yeah. right? And you may or may not get story from that, right? That's a conversation system, which we're not talking about in this episode. Yep. A cutscene, right, can then be very visually rendered, right, where all sticks are over. And yeah. I'm really like – um I didn't realize how big this topic was, I think, when we started talking about it because <laughs> I was originally going to kind of start to actually talk about Guardians of the Galaxy and Uncharted and Tomb Raider games versus, right, uh, Yakuza. But I see that we're already, like, kind of close. So what I'm going to do is actually kind of break the cinematic, or it's also called a cinematic because it's a movie. Yeah. And that's, like, another part of a cutscene is a cinematic, right? And I'm going to yeah. break this apart really quickly. And, Nicholas, you can please, like, ask questions and stop me here. Yeah, Because what the function of that was to break away the user's intention from actually just playing this game, right? When you're yeah. playing Myst, yeah. when you're playing the older 90s games, the game and you are the same, right? Yeah. And in a way. Now, there may have been cutscenes, There may have been camera cuts, right, to a different thing to help you, like, figure out where you need to go or to give you clues, right? Yeah. And there were, I mean, there were story games. There was Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy X, X-2, yeah. nine, eight. Those all happened, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, those all happened. Final Fantasy XI, <laughs> we're going into the 2000s now. Like, these yeah. all happened, okay? But yes. what I'm saying, and, and honestly, I think even, no, I think Yakuza, Yakuza was a little, a little, a little out of, later. Like, after, it was a little later. It was later, um, yeah. So all of these are still happening, right? And we're still having yeah. these incredible cinematics. But a lot of people in the in games industry, particularly in America, saw these and went, wow, I want to tell a story as emotionally engaging as that. And the way to do it and the way it is best or not best, but most easily paced is to divorce it. And that is why you get the gameplay cutscene, gameplay cutscene. And the only reason, right? Not the only reason, but the yeah. major reason, sorry, why this is, is because if a gamer is actively playing inside of the game experience, they are thinking. 
they are paying attention to the mechanics such as combat. And as those mechanics, right, increase in complexity, such as Devil May Cry's super incredible combo system, right, God of War's axe throwing and all of the different enemy types, all these things you have to actively think about. Yeah. A cinematic sitting back and watching a movie is now passive. You have time to no longer care about, right, the world and the combat and the environments around you and yeah. now can actually enjoy or, or skip, sure, but can actually get the narrative that yeah. we as the auteur, we as the designer want you to experience. And that's where it divorced, right? Is that mm -hmm. as systems got more incredibly complex, as mechanics, right? But as graphic fidelity increased, the amount of animation and art, emotion, right? All increased. We divorced ourselves from each other, not just in the games that we created, but as developers. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing for narrative delivery for me as an industry professional in narrative and in systems, right, is recognizing that it wasn't, and Nicholas is going to love this, it wasn't so much the uh, construct of a reasoning of why it has to be, but it was the production methods. Yeah. And we as studios. Production. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, if I ever get Nicholas in industry, he's going to be a fantastic producer. Oh, man, I love talking about production. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually created this diversion, right? This or yeah. division, this division yeah. between I want to tell an emotionally impactful story and the way I see doing it is outside of gameplay. And then these people go, well, I yeah. want an amazing combat experience that is incredibly fluid and visceral and it's a spectacle. And every time you hit the enemy, right, like it's going to be this magical moment. I mean, that's like Devil May Cry yeah. and I love those series. Yeah. But if you also want to tell a story, the easiest way for the player to understand it is active, passive, active, passive. Right. And then you have yeah. the active cutscene, and now you're like, what's this quick time event doing here? I had no idea. Mm, don't want too much. Ah, button. <laughs> I have to mash the button. And then you get scared and you're like, ah, quick. Right. Okay, and that's, but, actually, yeah. but that's the thing is that I think that's actually a really important insight. And I think this is something that we can sort of like arrive at because it would help explain why it is that like some people really find cutscene like they get angry at cutscenes. They don't just like uh, okay whatever a cutscene. Like cutscenes make them mad. And I think the reason why it makes them mad is for some for a reason that Lauren sort of teased out, which is that when you're playing the game as games have evolved over time as she said they become mechanically more and more complex. Like they're more like blood pumping, they're more adrenaline inducing, like it's more of like a fix. And if you're getting in the flow of gameplay and you're hacking like enemies to crap and then all of a and it's like let's have story time you're like no <laughs> stop it no, don't do this to me <laughs> that's why you're in the boss battle right you're playing insomniac spider-man and you absolutely love it but something is not clicking you're like i am doing a shit ton of damage to this enemy and i just don't yeah. understand oh it's because there's a cutscene <laughs> like, you're, yeah you're depressed right because like they take the control away from you right yeah yeah um Actually, this is a very big trope of a lot of Crystal Dynamics at Eidos Montreal games, which I actually absolutely love because I... Well, you, well, you worked for CD, so... Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But I can, also, I can actually also <laughs> see it. But in Guardians of the Galaxy, there's this cutscene moment where I know that if you just move the sticks, yeah. you can actually change the cutscene. Like, I know oh, it. Nice. Because, well, and I, I'm just like, man, but I'm just watching my boyfriend play it on the sticks. And he's like, the cutscene's going to be over. And then, because he's used to playing games where it's cutscene, no action. 
Mm-hmm. But Eidos does an incredible job of using like our the yeah, I'm about to go like our systems, no crystal <laughs> systems. I don't work yeah. in crystal dynamics anymore. Bless yeah. you guys. Is <laughs> using these systems to know that if there are any sort of like little fidgety movements, that like you can start breaking away from them. And I have to be honest that I think that, um, or you can break the cutscene, so to speak, which yeah. mirrors, right, the story they want to tell, but is actually now in your hands completely. And I'm watching my, uh, and I'm watching, I'm just watching him and I'm like, oh my God, if you just move, just move the stick, just move the stick. <laughs> just, just do it. Just but it. I'm not saying anything because, you know, it's his experience. And yeah, he's yeah. like, what? I didn't realize that I'd have to do something here. And every single cutscene happens. Like, I happened again in another scene. And I'm like, are you going to crawl forward or are you just going to, like, say, he's like, oh, this isn't a cutscene. I'm like, for the love of all that is good <laughs> in the world. Because that's just not the types of games he plays. And he's a yeah, very yeah, bad third yeah. person action adventure game Poor player. boy. Poor boy. Poor boy. Yeah. So when you listen to this, I'm sorry. I'm talking bad about you. But I think, well, I think what's bad is, what's funny is that he's actually, he plays every single type of game. But then there's this one particular instance where they change the rules, right? It's not an IGC. It's not, they change the camera perspective, right? There's no button prompts on a lot of these. And when they change the rules on him, he was like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) And he said that several times during the day yesterday. So, and so, I was just, so, before so that was just really funny, right? And that's because yeah. it's narrative, right? That is a different way of putting, um, of creating a cutscene, a cinematic moment where people are expected to just turn off and not touch the sticks yeah. into, right? No, no, no. Just move the left stick. You got to crawl forward. No, no, no. Just just secretly kind of do something here, <laughs> right? But it is a secret. And yeah. yet that's going back to the original, right? Of us. You have to figure it out. You, you don't know that you need to do that. Yeah. yeah. It was and a great we, moment for me. So. <laughs> and since Lauren did a very good job of bringing it back around again, I think we're going to end the episode there. I want to remind everyone that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash footydashi. And in our Patreon episode, we're actually going to be going into a bit of a deep dive in talking about narrative versus progression systems. Um, so if you want to listen to that episode, you are going to have to sign up for at least the $5 tier. We also have a $15 tier in which you get access to even more content and also to our Discord. You can follow Lauren at the Lauren Ash on Twitter. You can follow me at Academicality, or you can follow the pod at Pod on Twitter. Um, but for that, uh, I think that's where we're going to stop for this week, and we'll see you all again next time. Bye.